I hope that uh, the sermon last week was helpful. I want to apologize. I kind of went long. Uh, it had been 12 years since I preached on a regular basis. I've, I've been a few places, but there's a lot of build-up preaching in here. And uh, But I'm excited for this privilege. I really am. And I am praying that uh, God teaches all of us as uh, as we look to him together. Will you pray with me? Jesus, you are our firm foundation, and your word means everything to us. It is also our foundation for what we believe and what we know to be true. We love your word. We are so thankful that you have breathed it out for us so that we could know how to live best in this world and also how to connect with you, how to discover your incredible gift of life through the blood of Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Now, Lord, as uh, we look at your word together, I pray that you open our eyes, that you guide my words, and Holy Spirit, that you would help us to apply truth that we find into our lives. Amen. One of the verses that um, Pastor D um, really helped me to rediscover, and um, he shared how this verse has changed his life. When he first really had a, uh, a pastor at some seminar preach on this verse, it changed the way he was going about life drastically. And it's a verse in Second uh, Corinthians 5.10. And guys, you don't have it. I didn't, I didn't get this on there. But this verse says this. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. This verse is so clear, so specific. We, and it's speaking to believers. This is not the judgment between believers and unbelievers. This is specifically speaking to believers that we will one day stand before the judgment seat of Christ. This means we're already in the family, we're already redeemed, but there is going to be a judgment that we will all stand before. And this is crucial to know because we can't afford to just go through life and oh, I'm, I'm saved now. I can do pretty much whatever I want. It's just a coast now. That's not what the Lord expected from us. It's not what he calls us to. And this verse gives us this warning. You will answer for what you do in the body. Not whether or not you are saved, but how much reward you will enjoy in eternity. Now, I want us to think about this in regard to this question. How should we relate to our church family? How should we relate to our church family? There are people who, in fact, I think there's a lot of people who consider themselves believers in Jesus. They accepted, they heard the gospel at some point, and they chose to receive that gift from him. 
But then they had some kind of a bad experience in church. They had some crazy pastor that uh, didn't impress them or something, and uh, or somebody said something that they didn't like. Somebody insulted them. Somebody didn't pay attention to them enough. Because people are people, and we disappoint and we hurt each other. But here's the deal. If Satan can get you to then choose to separate yourself from the body, boy, has he got you, whether you know it or not. Throughout the New Testament, over and over again, we are told, love one another. Encourage one another. Forgive one another. Be patient with one another. The one another's go on and on. It is obviously really important to the Lord that we get together, that we stay together, and that we not just tolerate each other, but love one another. That's a challenge. It really is. But that's what he asks of us. I should, I should change that. He doesn't ask it. He commands it of us. And we're going to see that in a bit. And I wanted to, in this first chapter of Philippians, we get a great example of, well, what does that look like? It looks like Paul. Paul loved the body of Christ. You cannot read his writing without realizing, wow, he really loved these people that he ministered to. He really is concerned about them. He really wants them to grow and excel. He wants to be with them. He's praying for them all day, every day, it sounds like. I'm going to read for you, and again, you guys don't have this, but uh, this is the verses 3 through 11 in Philippians 1. Just listen, listen for how does Paul love the people in Philippi. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of the grace of grace with me. For God is my witness how I long for you all with uh, the affection of Christ Jesus. Let me read that verse again. How I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and discernment so that you may prove the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You catch that? He loves these people. This is not a job to him. He cares deeply. And I want to suggest to you, that's number one. If we are going to really please and honor God, if we are going to be able to, at the judgment seat of Christ, hear him say, well done, 
well done, you've got to love the body. Number one, choose to cherish your church family. Choose to. You know, uh, it's part of the great difficulty uh, in relationships in America. We are so consumed with what feels good, with what's what's comfortable, what's working. And my, my heart breaks for young people today who think that life is not good if everything isn't just so and just right. That is not life. Life is tough. This world is a fallen, broken world. Now, heaven's going to be grand, isn't it? It's going to be fabulous. But here, we're going to face challenges and troubles. I happen to be married to the most incredible woman in the world. I, I know I don't deserve it, but Rhonda, and she's really mad at me right now for pointing her out, but Rhonda is, is amazing. God knew who would be the right one for me, and he gave me this woman. And I'm so thankful. But even as wonderful as she is, there were times when we were struggling to really enjoy and appreciate one another. And just like anybody in another relationship, there was that tempting voice, maybe there's something else for you. You know that's from the pit of hell. But that's where I am so grateful that I had been raised and taught and modeled before me that the whole love thing is not a matter of how you feel. Love, as Dee has been teaching us now through the years, by the way, I, I love you. Love is a matter of choice. No matter how we feel about somebody, we can love them. We can choose to do the best, what is best for them. We can choose to bless them. We can choose to be patient with them. In fact, we must. If we're going to make relationships work, this is what it takes. We choose to cherish our church family. Look at Philippians 1.7 again. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart. They are in there, and they are going to stay in there for Paul. He has chosen to love them, and now in this case, he says he even feels like loving them. But isn't that one of the cool things? Over time, if you continue to make the choice, it's the feelings usually come along at some point. Paul chose to love them, and he did. A, God commands us to love one another. He commands us to love one another. This is not optional. It is not okay when we meet people that are separated from the body and say, nah, nah, I just, I, I don't want to, I don't want to go there. My heart breaks for them because they are missing out. Satan has deceived them into thinking that their life will somehow be better if they're not connected to the body of Christ. It's madness. It truly is. If you are a follower of Christ, you must love the body of Christ. Now, I I can't tell you that they're not saved. 
But I can tell you they're going to miss an awful lot in this life and the life to come. God commands us to love one another. And you can't love one another and never be together, never participate in life. John 13, 34 and 35 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. This is the determining characteristic that helps other people to see that there's something different about us. This is what shows that we are true followers of Jesus Christ when we choose to love one another and make each other a priority in our lives. Again, this is difficult, but this is what's expected by the Father. I have two kids, Janelle, and then I have a son that I hope you get to meet someday. His name is Travis. Great kids, wonderful kids. But all you parents know what I'm talking about. There were times that you wanted to string them both up. Because they just found the silliest things to pick at each other about and to fuss about and fight about. And life just is not fun when the house is full of that chaos. And I tell you, our father doesn't enjoy that either. And that's why he says... Love one another. You know, 1 Corinthians 13, such a beautiful chapter. And, and where do you always hear that chapter being used in life in America? At weddings. Talking uh, about a couple. And surely those principles apply. But do you realize that that's not written to a married couple? That's written to brothers and sisters. It's written to Christians and, and calling them and explaining to them, this is how you are to love one another. This is what it should look like. Love is patient. Love is kind. And so on and so on. Man, you read that chapter and you think, wow, if we do that, that really would be different. That really would be attractive that really would be significant. That would give someone who doesn't know Christ hope that there's a better way to go about life. Because that's beautiful right there. Isn't it? I mean, I mean, when people really live in that kind of love, that patient, gentle, kind, forgiving, long suffering, it's a beautiful thing. John 15, 12 says, This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. How has he loved us? Man, that's a high standard. That is a high standard. Because he demonstrated his love toward me and that while I was yet a sinner, he died for me. He didn't wait for me to get my act together. He didn't say, all right, Steve, if you can just manage to stop sinning for a little while, I might put up with you. I might give you. That's not him. 
He loved me while I was twisted and foolish and wasn't interested in him. His love is perfect. It's agape. And he is calling us and saying, love one another as I have loved you. Well, B, we need to recognize their value, our church family, their value as fellow partakers of grace. We need to recognize that there really is something to this whole deal. The people sitting in this room right now, this worries me a little bit. It's like you don't like each other or something. Or don't like me. I don't know what it is, but I love seeing you guys up here, by the way. I know. It's okay. I'm, I'm just teasing. But we are truly brothers and sisters. In fact, more significant, significantly with more impact than the brothers and sisters that you were blood born into a family with. You are going to be with this group for eternity. Now, hopefully, your other blood brothers and sisters will be there with us as well. But this is to be forever. These are your siblings. I'm your sibling. You're going to have to love me. You're just going to have to. I know it's tough, but you're going to have to. Again, verse uh, 7, Philippians 1. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. That means we have something special together. You have it. I have it. We are now blood brother and sister in Christ forever. Hebrews 3.14 says, For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. And I believe everybody in this room, that's your plan, isn't it? You're in. You're in and you're in forever. Listen, start now learning how to love your brothers and sisters. C. Recognize their eternal relation as brothers and sisters in Christ. Again, this is forever. So recognize that. Uh, get over the fact that maybe there's something about them that isn't your favorite, that you're not thrilled about. Uh, maybe they've done something that's disappointed or frustrated you. We are called, commanded to love. Now that doesn't mean you have to spend every moment of every day But it means you value them. It means you recognize them as having the same incredible gift that you have. And this sets us apart together. Hmm. Recognize their eternal relation as brothers and sisters in Christ. For you are all sons of God. This is Galatians 3. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ. 
and have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. Joint heirs with Jesus. You and me. And then D, we need to develop the affection of Christ Jesus for them, for our, for our family members, for our brothers and sisters. And again, that doesn't happen automatically. Now, it's cool because I've, I've been to the Philippines a number of times. I've been to Japan. And I've been to many different churches, different places in the States. And it is incredible. You just meet someone who's a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ, and there's something special there. Have you ever experienced that? You just know this is my sister, this is my brother, and there becomes this immediate bond, this immediate freedom uh, to, to love with holy love, with, with, uh, with Christ's affection. And it's a beautiful thing. But it requires our choosing to cherish them and developing that love. That description of love in 1 Corinthians 13, as you well know, that doesn't happen automatically. It requires work and effort. That's why in the middle of it says, it, be patient with one, with one another. In fact, it's the first thing. Love is patient. But we develop that as we grow in Christ. That's, that's what shows a mature Christian is when you really can love somebody, whether they've got their act together or not. Philippians 1.8 says, For God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Once again, we need to pay close attention to how Jesus loved his disciples. Because that's our example, along with Paul here. And then John 15 says, This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. If we are demanding our own way, we aren't loving. Jesus, again, laid down his life for us and he's asking us, lay down our life. Not that we will have to physically die on behalf of another maybe someday but most likely not but I think you know that there's many ways of laying down our life for the sake of someone else and that's what he's asking us to do and then E be mindful of your brothers and sisters in Christ be mindful of them I thought it was interesting uh, Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. All my remembrance of you? What is, what is he doing? I think he must be sitting around thinking about them. He's thinking about them and then praying about them. Thinking about how he can encourage them and bless them. How he can teach them when he gets the opportunity. And I think we need to get used to doing that, being mindful of our brothers and sisters, thinking about, I wonder how they're doing, and then praying for them. And now that's what, that brings us to point number two. Well, let, let's read the verses here. Uh, 
Philippians 1.3 says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. And then Philippians 2 says this, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Wow. I mean, this requires unselfishness. That requires growing up. We're going to study that more later, so I'm not going to go into that right now. That's going to be a few weeks down the road. But number two says this. Um, If we are going to relate correctly to our church family, we need to pray for them. Pray for your church family. And that's what Paul was doing. He said in Philippians 1.4, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Prayer with joy. And I want to suggest this. A, pray with eternity in mind. I don't know if you noticed, but most of the prayer requests, I, I love that we are a praying church. It's a beautiful thing. But I, I notice that a lot of what we request and what we think about and what we pray about is, is more on the end of physical things. And that's okay. It's good for us to pray for one another in regard to dealing with physical issues. But I want you to notice that Paul, whenever he's praying about others, that's almost never the topic. That's almost never his concern. I think sometimes we are captivated by by not having pain and struggle, by living as long as we possibly can. I think we need to change that. Paul, we'll find out here, says a couple chapters later, for me to live is Christ, to die is to gain. He's actually looking for it. He said, I'd, I'd rather go home and be with the Lord now. So what does Paul pray about? Well, here, Ephesians six eighteen to 20, it says, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, and pray on my behalf that, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. He is first and foremost concerned not with his physical well-being. Obviously not. He was shipwrecked, he was beaten, he's in jail while he's, he's writing this. He's imprisoned. And he doesn't say, and please, please pray that I get out of here quick. He's concerned that whether he's in jail or whether he's out, that he would be effective at spreading the gospel. Is he a nut? No. He sees so clearly the perspective that this world is passing. This world is nothing. Eternity is what matters. Eternity is what matters. And it's what matters for our friends and our neighbors. It's what matters for the Philippians. And he's praying, brothers, or he's, he's pleading with them, brothers, pray for me that I 
be effective while I have breath, as long as I'm here, that I could reach another person, that I can reach others with the gospel. Wow, he had an eternal perspective, didn't he? And then B, pray specifically for spiritual formation and maturity. That's what we ought to be praying for one another about. I need your prayers, folks. By the way, if you've been praying for me preaching, thank you. Please keep it up. It makes a difference. I need your prayers. I'm going to be, I have been praying for you, actually. I have been praying that when we get together, that God does speak through me and open your eyes to something that, that will be helpful in your spiritual growth. Pray specifically for spiritual formation and maturity. Look at uh, Philippians 1, 9 to 11. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent, in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Whoa! He wants them to really grow and become mature and be able to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and hear God say, well done. That's what he's praying about. Is that what we're praying about for one another? Having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And then Ephesians chapter 1 verses 15 to 19. For this reason I too having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints. I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. What does he pray? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe all. I love this prayer. Please, take this home with you and pray this for me, would you? Seriously. Pray this for me. Let's pray this for one another. Can you, if we we all (laughs) would have this transformation in us, that the things that he just prayed for them, he's talking to the Ephesians there, but if we had that happen in us, man, it'd be beautiful. I want to be mature in Jesus. I want to be like him. (laughs) I try not to think back in my past. The enemy, I, I don't know if he does, I'm sure he does this with you because it's what he does. He tries to bring up those moments in my life when I just was a failure, when I was miserable, when I did something that was so boneheaded, so selfish, so pig headed. He always tries to bring those things up and shake them in our face, doesn't he? Praise God, we can take those thoughts captive. We don't need to sit and let him beat us up with those, do we? Take those thoughts captive and say, yeah, that was me, but that is not me now. I'm being transformed by the word and by his spirit, amen? But this is what we ought to be praying for for one another. 
Will you, will you make a commitment with me to pray some of these prayers for us? We'll, we'll kind of do this. You can pray, you can pray it for some of the other people in the church, but let's, let's really make it a point to pray for one another in this room. Seriously. I'm, I'm not asking you to limit. Please don't, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm kind of teasing there. But at least be praying this for, for us, okay? Let's pray this for one another and see what God does. And then Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 19. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name that he would grant you, grant you what? Grant you more money, grant you better health. No, that's not what Paul prays. Grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of Christ. Oh, oh, to be filled with the fullness of Jesus. Now that's something. That's something. That is beautiful beyond anything else that we will ever know or ever gain in this world. Paul knew it, didn't he? I count all things as rubbish in comparison to knowing Christ. Oh, brothers and sisters, let's pray that for each other. Let's pursue that together. Then number three. We need to anticipate and expect God's transformation in the lives of your church family. As we're praying these things, we should actually expect that it will come about. This next verse happens to be my life verse, and we're going to actually study it the next time uh, that I preach. Next week we've got a, a somebody else preaching, but in two weeks I'm going to preach pretty much just on this verse. It says this, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it. Until the day of Christ Jesus. I love that verse. Because over the years I struggled. Over the years I was distracted. Over the years I, I got my eyes off of the prize at times. And I have, since I was a boy, had a longing to be like Jesus and to, and to be faithful. But there were times that I failed. And I worried that he would grow tired of me and throw me aside. And the enemy worked hard to get me to believe that. But God would use this verse to remind me, no, come back. Come back, repent, confess. 
For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day he returns. And I stand before you this evening and I tell you, he is doing that in me. I got a long way to go. I'm not bragging here by any means. I'm, I am so far behind what I wish I was. But I know this. He's at work. He is doing that in me. And I praise him. And he's doing that in you. <sighs> Breathe it in. Accept it. Rejoice in it in his faithfulness. You know, your transformation is his work. Now, we got to cooperate, and, it, and how quick it happens and how well it happens depends on how much we cooperate with him, amen? But it's his work, and it's his desire to transform us into his likeness. Continual spiritual growth is the expectation. Continual spiritual growth is the expectation. Uh, Ephesians 4, 12 to 16 says, For the equipping of the saints for the work of service... And he's talking here about uh, there were there's different gifts given, uh, pastors, teachers, and so on, uh, for this purpose. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until what? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That's our goal. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ." From whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. This is what the body of Christ should look like. Growing together into Christ's likeness. So that he receives glory. And we, by the way, B, are to actively participate in the building up of our brothers and sisters. That is part of our responsibility. We are to help. We are to encourage and love. Romans fourteen nineteen says, So then, we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. We pursue this. We pursue this. We go after this. Passionately, specifically, purposefully. Are you thinking about that? Are you thinking about how can I help my brother grow in Christ? How can I encourage him? How can I build him up? First Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you also are doing. And then Ephesians 4.29 says this, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Don't speak except to build others up. That's a challenge for me. I, I learned how to be sarcastic. I learned how to... Uh, 
be the funny guy, cutting, cutting buddies down and stuff. And that's what, what guys do, really, back in high school, junior high. But we're out of that. It's time to move on. Not that we can never do it, but we ought to be looking for ways to build one another up. Amen? And then finally, Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. And let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is what we ought to be doing. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Ah, I love the Word of God. <laughs> Let's pray together. And then the guys are coming with the cards. But Jesus, we, we need you because this, this whole deal of really loving one another and really being considerate of one another and letting no one hold some word and building each other up, it, it's not natural. We're, our flesh, as you know too well, is always looking for what makes me feel good, what I want. We are so glad, Jesus, that you loved us with agape love, loved us sacrificially, gave yourself for us. Jesus, would you please continue to transform us so that we love sacrificially and bring glory to you? Really, Jesus, I would... I, I want to keep going there. I want to be consumed with kingdom business, with loving my brothers and sisters purely, selflessly, encouraging. You are worthy. You are truly worthy of this kind of a life. So we pray this. In Jesus' name, amen.